uh, and we'll start our reading, glory to God, at verse number four, I believe. Verse number four of Numbers, the 11th chapter. Now, we, this, this particular passage of scripture, uh, we started in Numbers, we started our series on preparing for great, and we looked at the nation of Israel and, and their exploits and their, the things that, that they were going through. Uh, because I think it's very important that we take hold of what the Bible says when it says these things happened to Israel uh, for an example and an admonition for us. And so let's learn from Israel. Let's learn from the children of God. Amen. God's chosen people, the nation through whom he decided to bring the Savior into the earth realm, the nation through whom he decided to wrap himself in human flesh. To come and to die on the cross for our sins, amen, that nation, his people, amen, is teaching us lessons even today. And so we, we've unpacked a lot of this, but I want y'all to hear it because today we're dealing with part two of do you have an attitude? Part two of do you have an attitude? Now, again, attitudes can be good and they can be bad. And so we're going to look at. Uh, these things, the first thing we talked about was a complaining attitude. Everybody said complaining attitude. <laughs> Certainly we see the children of Israel as we studied this, that they had a complaining attitude. But we said we should replace that co- complaining attitude with a thankful abit- attitude, right? Replace complaining with thankfulness. So if you live with somebody that all they do is complain, y'all got to get on the same page and say, listen, baby, we can't have that around here. We're going to run that complaining attitude out of our house and we're going to be thankful for what the Lord has done. It may not be exactly what we want it to be, but we're going to thank God is not the way it used to be. It could be worse off than what it is right now. So a complaining attitude needs to be replaced with a what? A thankful attitude. So let's get into this text that we're going to talk about today. A covetous attitude. Everybody say covetous. So Numbers 11 chapter, and we'll begin reading from the NLT uh, in verse number four. The text says this, then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. And we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna, manna over here, manna over there, manna, manna, manna everywhere. Now, I add that part to it, but you, you understand. You, you get the drip. The manna looked like small coriander seeds, and it was pale yellow like gum resin. The people would go out and gather it from the ground. They made flour by grinding it with, with hand mills or pounded it in mortars. Then they boiled it in a pot and made it into flake cakes. These cakes tasted like pastries baked with olive oil. The manna came down on the camp with the dew during the, during the night. Verse number 10, read with me, it says, What Moses heard all the families standing in the doorways of their tents whining, and the Lord became what? Extremely angry. Moses was also very aggravated, and Moses said to the Lord, Watch this, why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? Why do you, why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? And again, let me tell you something. As your pastor, I feel like this sometimes. I'm carrying you like a mother carrying a baby that she's nursing. Got to kind of keep the babies satisfied until they can grow up. And begin to walk on their own. Amen. But that's okay. That's part of the job. I'm not asking the Lord to kill me. Yet. Okay. All right. Y'all, 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 y'all some good folks. I'm just, just, just having a fun with you. Okay. So how can I carry them to the land you swore to give their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining to me saying, give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. This is Moses, who is known as the friend of God. See, when you're friends with God, you can tell him your frustrations. When you're friends with God, you can talk to him this way and know that it's not going to disrupt your relationship with him. Because he knows, amen, where you are. 
Amen. He says, why don't you just go and kill me? Because <laughs> and just, just, just take me out of my misery. So, so, so today we, we're going we're gonna to talk about uh, do you have an attitude? And, and we're going to dive into this. Deal. Now, again, I, t- I shared with you on last week, gave you definition. And ad- attitudes are patterns of thinking formed over a long period of time. Wrong attitudes are hard to change because they are habitual, harmful ways of thinking about life and circumstances. Patterns of thinking are so deeply ingrained in our hearts and minds that we hardly even notice them. We hardly even notice that we're being negative because we've been doing it for so long. Amen. There is a direct correlation between our behavior and our thought life. We saw that in the book of Romans, the 12th chapter. So let's delve into this right quick. Okay. So, so, so the first thing we look at is, is a covetous attitude. Now, first, flow with me right quick. First of all, covetousness is wanting wrong things. Everybody say covetous. Covetousness. Say it, say it, say, it, say it. covetousness is wanting wrong things. In other words, wanting power without reason, uh, wanting control so I can be at the center of everything, wanting wealth just for myself, amen, and wanting glory and praise from others for me and not giving glory and praise to God. Amen, covetousness. It, 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 it's, it's wanting wrong things. The second thing is covetousness is wanting right things for the wrong reason. Hello, first of all, it's wanting wrong things. Second of all, it's wanting right things for the wrong reason. For example, the role of spiritual leadership in the church. The Bible says that if a man desires the office of an elder or church leader, he desires a good thing. Go to 1 Timothy 3 right quick. Let's pop it up right. 1 Timothy 3 verse 1 right quick. See, it's nothing wrong with spiritual, wanting to be in spiritual leadership in a role in the church. But many times people want it for the wrong reason. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be an elder, he desires what? An honorable position. Amen. In other words, what, what he's saying here is Paul is telling Timothy, if someone desires to be in spiritual leadership, that's a good thing. That's an honorable thing. Amen. But wanting to be a, a, a spiritual leader and make impact on the lives of others, that's a great thing to want. But you have to not just want it. You have to want it for the right reason. Amen. To want it for the wrong reason, like personal recognition. Come on. If my name didn't get called, if I wasn't chosen to do that now, I'm mad. Hello, y'all do know what happens in the church, right? All right. In other words, if you if you're wanting a position, a man, just so you can be have praise heaped upon you, see, you're into covetousness, wanting the right thing. Nothing wrong with wanting to be in a spiritual leadership role, but if you want it for the wrong reason, Amen. If you wanna, if you want it so that you wanna pastor church so that just so you can get a paycheck. Hello, that's for the wrong reason. Can I get a witness? Although pastors ought to be paid. But if your mindset is just to get some money, then it's for the wrong reason. That's covetous. Everybody say covetous. If you, if, if you want to be in spiritual leadership for personal recognition or power over others or for your own personal agenda, that's covetousness. So covetousness, second of all, can be wanting right things for the wrong reason. The third uh, thing that covetous is, covetousness is also wanting right things at the wrong time. How many of y'all ever wanted something that in and of itself it was not wrong, but it was at the wrong time? Uh, Maria and I oftentimes talk about this, and uh, this is when we first got married, and we'd moved back over here from, uh, we, uh, when I first graduated uh, from um, Louisiana Tech, uh, we got married. Um, I was 22, and she was 20. Sounds young, doesn't it? I was 22, and she was 20 when we first got married. And so... Um, but I, I started working in banking, and then we moved back over this way. And, and as we would drive down Benton Road, I, you know, oftentimes, uh, this is back in the day. when You remember on Benton Road right there in Bozeman before you get to 220? All those houses on, on that road used to always decorate their, their houses with Christmas light uh, during the Christmas season. And there were uh, several on the left-hand side, you're going north, there were some pretty large-sized houses. And we would drive through there and say, we're going to claim that house. <laughs> in other words, not necessarily that house. But we want one just like that. Now, mind you, come on now, I'm just starting in my career. And I wasn't making the money I was making when I ended my banking career. Are you following me? But, but, but we would confess that the Lord, we believe that we receive, amen? And there's nothing wrong with, amen, wanting that type house because right now we have more square footage than that house had then now. 
But we, at that point in time, guess what? We, we, we desired and we wanted, but our budget couldn't handle what that monthly payment was going to be. Can I get a witness? Because how many of you know it's more to buy the house than just paying the mortgage? Hello? There's more to buying a house than just, there's more to driving a car than just making a monthly car note. There's some insurance that's got to be paid. Come on now. And if you ever see your car on the side of the road with them big yellow orange stickers, yellow and orange stickers on the back because you ain't got no insurance, that means you couldn't afford to drive what you're driving. You got to put gas in it. Hello? And so sometimes we won't quote right things, but at the wrong time. That house was too big for our budget at that time. But we wanted it. Everybody say I wanted it. See, some of y'all right now want what your parents got and you're not where your parents are. Can I get two witnesses right here? And we go out into the world, amen, amen, wanting things and sometimes we'll stretch to get stuff and it ends up being a covetous possession. Because really now, and it, it, it's, it's not wrong to have it, but it was the wrong time for us because we were stretching and going beyond what, what, what your means would have been. But I thank God that, see, God allowed us to see that, hey, there's a process involved in getting to certain stages in life. And you can't short circuit the process. Amen. So third, third uh, uh, fourth thing. Amen. Fourth thing. Lastly, covetousness is wanting right things, but wanting them in the wrong amount. Take money, for example. Amen. Money is not a wrong thing, right? Go to 1 Timothy with me right quick. Uh, 1 Timothy 5, look at verse number 8. Wanting money, look at me. Wanting money is not a wrong thing. Right? As a matter of fact, watch what Paul tells uh, Timothy. Let's back up, if you will. Uh, let's back up a few verses. Start at, uh, if you will, let's start at verse, go, go back to verse number 1 with me right quick. 1 Timothy chapter 5. This is Paul talking to the son of the minister by the name of Timothy. Uh, go to verse one. It says, "Never speak harshly to an older man." Can, can, we, can we can we just walk through this real quickly? I, I love it when, when the Holy Spirit just kind of this. This wasn't a part of the message, but I want to share this with you because sometimes we, you know, the Bible is our guide for living. The Bible is our guide for governing our attitudes. The text says, "Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully, as you would to your own father." When you're talking to an elder person in this church, no, no 15-year-old or 20-year-old should be calling an 85-year-old by his first name. Well, you know, we just cool like that. No, he's your elder. And you call him Mr. John if you're going to call him John at all, but don't just John. No. Teach your children how to be manable. Teach your children to say yes, sir, and no, sir. Some of y'all got some bratty little children who don't know how to respect elders and they'll say, no, yeah. Okay, so don't, don't, don't leave the church because your child been doing that. Just, just go and correct him. I know Pastor Adam talking about, I'm not talking about your children, guys. I'm just speaking the word. Because, again, I, I, this is a real life experience. He says, but he said, never speak harshly to the older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. Talk to younger men as you would to your own brothers. Verse 2, let's read, let's go. Treat older women as you would your mother. Come on. Don't be trying to hook up and get your groove back with an older woman. I mean, older woman trying to get a young. Just treat her like a your mother. I kind of threw that in on you right quick, just parenthetically. Some of y'all are like, what is he talking about, Stella, getting the groove back? I mean, just, just live a little bit longer and watch a few more shows. You, 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 you get what I'm talking about. And treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters, not as if it's somebody you're trying to hook up with. He's talking to the church now, right? And I'm, I'm adding a little bit to this. What I'm adding this is, I'm just bringing it up to modern day terms, but what, that's what Paul was saying here. He says, take care of any widow... Watch this, who has no one else to care for her. Verse 4 says what? Uh, but if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. Watch this now, okay? Watch this. Let's go back to what I said. Now, 
He's talking to the church now. He says, but, say, but if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show God is at home. If your mama or your grandmama uh, needs some help with an electric bill, don't come to the church for a benevolent fund and you sitting there working 40 hours a week or whatever and making $100,000 a year. Go and help your mama pay an electric bill. Well, she a member of EBC. Yes, but the text says you're the child of the grandchild. Help her out. Now, I'm not so naive enough to believe that some mothers don't do stuff that they don't supposed to do with their money, but you got you to kind of teach them how to, to be responsible. Most of them, I think, are responsible. You have some mamas who spend, spend like there's no tomorrow, and they want you to come in and help. You got to train, help train them to be responsible, help teach them how to, to manage their money well. It's a two-way street, right? Don't be frivolous and then expect your children to take care of all your needs. Amen? Be responsible. Let's keep reading. But it says their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. Verse five. Let's go. Now, a true widow, a woman who is truly alone in this world, has has placed her hope in God. She prays night and day asking God for his help. A true widow. But the widow who lives only for pleasure is spiritually dead even while she lives. We got some of those. You know that, right? I'm not talking about in the church here. I'm just talking about the body of Christ as a whole. Keep reading. It says, give these instructions to the church so that no one will be open to criticisms. That's what the word says, okay? Verse number eight is what I'm going to. But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. So how are you going to take care of your household if you don't have any money? So having, wanting money is not evil. It's the love of money that's the what? The root of all evil. Amen? So providing for others requires that we make some money, all right? And yet it puts us in danger of not knowing when to stop. Some people work 80 hours a week trying to get as much money as they can, supposed to take care of their families, and then their families go to hell in the handbasket because they don't spend any time with their families. Everybody say balance. More, uh, listen to this, Rick, more of anything other than God will never feel that longing for fulfillment he has placed inside of each of us. Some of you think that if I get more money, I'll be happy. Let me tell you something, more money won't make you happy. Now, it's good to get more money so you can do more things, so you can bless more people, but having more money in and of itself will not make you happy. There are a lot of rich folk who are miserable. I know some of y'all saying, I'm going to try it, Pastor, see if I'm going to be miserable. I hear you thinking right now. I hear you. I hear your mind percolating out there. But trust me, sometimes, and I, I share this all the time about these lottery winners who, who, who haven't been trained or who haven't been taught about finances, and then they get finances and have to fight off all their relatives and everybody. And some of them say, I wish I had never won that money. If, you, if, if, if some of y'all become the next millionaire, the next billionaire, and, and people find out about it, you're going to find out how hard it is to handle money appropriately and not be in a state of dis, disrepair because of the way people will come at you. I don't care what you say. People come at you differently when you have money. The Bible even says it's the rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is what? Servant to the lender. So those who have money tend to have greater influence. Why even our political system, that's, that's, what's so, that's what's so disheartening about it, is that people who contribute to these campaigns have greater influence, influence than you who's not involved or don't contribute any money. And the more money you contribute, guess what? The greater influence they, t- they seem to have. That's not right. I'm just saying that's the way it is. So let's get back. So, so, so covetous is wanting right things, but wanting them in the wrong amount. Sometimes we can get into greed. And greediness is covered. The love of money is the root of all evil. When you love money, you'll do whatever it takes to get it. Y'all remember the song by the OJs? Money, 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 money. Some people got to have it. Some people really need it. Do things, do things. Bad things. Huh? And see, when you're in the greed, you'll do bad things just to get the money. And so that's covetous. Everybody say covetous. Let's walk through a little bit further this. When we yield to covenant, let's sit, yielding to covenants, let's, let's take a look at that, why God hates that so. See, covetousness becomes active sin 
when you yield to it. Go back to Numbers 11, chapter, verse number four. Covetous becomes active sin when you yield to it. Now, again, you can have sin in your heart, too, but I'm talking about active sin where an action is taken based off of what's in your heart. Amen. Just because you got it in your heart and don't act on it don't mean that you had not committed sin. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this. You remember what he said? He says, when, when you have lust in your heart toward that married woman, you've already committed adultery well. Think about it for a second. Jesus said that you can commit adultery in your heart without ever actually doing the physical act. That's what he said, didn't he? You can commit adultery where? As a matter of fact, you can commit murder in your heart without ever committing the physical act. Now, granted, there are greater consequences to committing the physical act, whether it's adultery and or murder. But either way, God's looking at your heart, whether you did it physically or you did it internally. Can I get a witness? So, so covetous becomes active sin when you're the numbers the 11th chapter, verse number four. Let's go back there one more time. Covetous become active sin when we yield to it. Watch what happened. Th- then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt, and the people of Israel also began to complain, oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. Now, understand this, verse five, look at verse five. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt, and we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic we wanted. Let me tell you something. When, 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 you, when you dwell on a desire, hear me carefully. When you dwell on a desire, yielding is only a matter of time. I'm going to say it again. When you dwell on a desire, come on. When you focus in on just daydreaming about it, just think about it all the time. Yielding is only a matter of time. And have you ever noticed how covetousness will inflate the pleasure? Wait. In other words, when you covet something, you begin to make it more attractive and accessible than it really is because you want it. You convince yourself you can pay for that house or that car when really in actuality you can't pay for it. And then once you get it, once the new car smell wears off and that monthly payment, you're in monthly payment number nine and the new car smell is worn off and you've gotten used to riding around looking proud and pretty. Now you're driving around hurt and struggling and worried because you're afraid to park your car in the front of the house. You're parking on the back of the house just so somebody can't come take it off because you had not paid your note. You know, we, we, we do some strange things because of covetousness. We put ourselves in strange positions because of that desire. We, we, we actually, l- listen, uh, take, take for instance, eating too much. Have you ever had a desire for some food and, and, and really you weren't really hungry but you wanted it? Huh? You convince yourself that you're going to diet and exercise every day starting Monday, don't you? <laughs> so I'm going to eat this because Monday I'm going to start exercising. I'm not the only one that ever done that. I'm not the only one here who's convinced himself that Monday is going to be a new day, so I'm going to go on and tear these ribs up right now. I'm not the only one. Because see, see tr- transparency, truthfulness is good for us. Huh? You create rationalizations in order to get the thing you want. Make a note of this. Covetedness inflates the desire while it ignores the danger. Covetedness inflates the desire while it ignores the danger. Man, let me tell you something. Brothers out here, see, when you, when, when, when you lock your eyes in on a woman who's not your wife, come on, and when you, when you begin to, to, to fantasize, when you begin to see her in a way that you weren't designed to see her because you are married to another, and maybe she's married to another. I felt something in here right now. 
I felt something come through the building right now. I think I'm on to something right now. And the same thing happens to you ladies. Come on, see, because these men are messing with somebody, and it's most of the time it's a woman. So they messing with somebody. So you desire this person, right? So, but, but, but I'm locked in on my brothers now because I'm a brother and I'm talking to brothers. Brothers. <laughs> I got three of y'all. The rest of them ain't saying a word. <laughs> is she looking at me? Is she, is she trying to see how I'm going to respond? See, 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 guys, if you're not careful, you'll rationalize the covetousness that has came into your heart as you see a woman that you desire. And you'll convince yourself that you can move to the next step and there'll be no consequences. Because when we lock in and desire, when covetous begin to, 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 to move on this side of us, we'll rationalize our sin. Well, you know, just, you know, things ain't right at home, and, you know, and, 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 you know, and, I'm, and, and things is not going right, and, you know, we, we rarely ever have sex at home, so, you know, I got to get it from somewhere. What did you just say? What did you just say? I got to, you know, I got needs. Woman said the same thing. I got needs. First Corinthians seven. Can we go there right quick? Can we move over there just for a second? First Corinthians seven chapter, verse number one. See, covetous will have you rationalizing sinful behavior. It'll have you thinking about a person and then undressing them with your mind in your mind. Ladies, let me ask y'all a question. Have y'all ever had a man look at you and you felt like he was undressing you with his eyes? Ladies, ladies, I need some ladies. To, la- ladies, will y'all, will y'all help me in there? You, yeah, yeah. And it can be a little creepy, can it? <laughs> Thank y'all. But in that guy's mind, and he may be a believer, oftentimes he is. But covetousness has, 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 has such a strong hold that it's got that guy thinking that, you know, well, maybe I'll just drop this hint. I'm going to drop the hint to see if she'll take the hint. And if she don't rebuff me at that first level, I'll go to the second level. I'm telling you what dudes think. Okay. And then if the second level... They get a okay, then they move to the third level. Can somebody talk with me? Can somebody tell me amen? amen. Can somebody say, I know what you're talking about, Pastor? Say, help us, Pastor. Say, help us. And then we move to the next level, then, because what, what, <laughs> when, when, a, when a cover to stop come like that, dude is trying to see how far he can go. And if you open that door a lot of times, especially if they're not praying, because covetous had you thinking things and having you thinking that, you know, you know okay, all right, uh, this is going to be the greatest thing since sliced slice light bread, okay? Because in your mind, it's going over and over again. And so now you keep moving. So, so, so what you got to do is, is, is stop saying, well, I got to get it from somewhere. It's go do what you and your wife sit down and y'all talk about this. First Corinthians 7, chapter say this. Now, regarding the question you asked in your letter, yes, it is good to live a celibate life. If you're single right now, don't get, don't get mad about being single. Don't think that I'm all alone. You and Jesus can make this thing happen. Be complete in who you are and don't think that you, that you are less than because you're single. A widow to divorce. Don't you dare think that singleness is a sin. Because as a matter of fact, the Bible says you can do more for Christ when you're single. Who you got to answer to when you come home at 12 o'clock at night? Not a soul. You just walk into your house, walk into your apartment. <sighs> I had a great time tonight. I, 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 I had a, 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 a great time. My friend went to the movie, went out to eat. I didn't have to worry about telling them, let's cut the conversation short because I got to get back home because I got a jealous husband. 
or a jealous wife. Now, some people are jealous because you gave them some reason to be jealous for. But let's keep moving. That's, that's not even the sermon right now. Now, regarding the question, actually, a lot of yes, it is good to live a celibate life. So Paul said, I wish you all were just like I was. In other words, some debate whether or not Paul was ever married or not, but we know at the time he's right, he didn't have a wife. Look at verse number two. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. But because there's so much sexual immorality, Paul is writing to the church, because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. Verse number three. Watch this. Watch this. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. All right. Every guy, I want y'all to repeat after me. We're going to read. Say, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. Most of you brothers say, brother, I'm up for that, pastor. I can, I, can, I can promise you I will fulfill that need. And the wife should do what? I'm talking husband and wife. I'm not talking about boyfriend and girlfriend. So get yourself together. Everybody say, get myself together. Watch this, watch this, verse 4, come on, let's go. Uh, the wife gives authority over her body to her husband. Watch this, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Next verse, come on. Don't deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourself more complete depravity. Did y'all know this in the Bible? The Bible God is telling us how, to, how to, to, to commune in this very important area. More completed in prayer. After what, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So, so, so this is how this, so we shouldn't be covetous. And, and when we do this here the right way, then it, 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 it keeps that covetous spirit at bay because things are working the way they should work. And we have things that happen in, 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 in marriage and relationships, so that's why you got to stay close to God because whether it's sickness or whether it's an inability to do certain things because of age or what type of thing, you got to learn how to be creative and you got to learn how to let God keep you, amen. Uh, Lord, I went there, amen. <laughs> Am I making this plain? All right, say so move to the next topic, Pastor. Covetedness, here's where I left off. Covetedness inflates the desire while it ignores the danger. Covetedness never tells you that by taking that money that doesn't belong to you, you're going to jail. Covetedness never tells you by, 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 by fooling around with somebody who's not your spouse, you're going to lose your family. Or you make any number of things can happen. You can lose, I can't tell you the number of men, men or women who lost their job because of inappropriate relationships on the job. Happens in the military all the time. Do you not know a commanding officer cannot be connected with someone who's subordinate to them? They will get you out of there real quick. Because here's what they understand. When it's time to make a decision, and, and we're going into battle, and, and you got to get the truth lined up. Okay, let's say, for instance, you've been messing with this subordinate over here. She's going to think that she got a special privilege that nobody else has because she's seen you. She's been with you. And now you tell them to all go over here. I need y'all to go to, to, to North Dakota for five weeks. She said, well, I don't want to go. So now what you going to do? Well, you going. I'm your... I'm, I'm, I'm your superior officer. Well, you know what? You weren't superior when we were together last night. Y'all take it how y'all want to take it, okay? So now, it causes disruption. Amen? So, so, so again, we, sometimes when we enter covetousness, it inflates the desire while it ignores the danger. It's very unlikely, guys, when we look at the, go back, going back to the, to the nation of Israel, it's very unlikely that the children of Israel, as slaves in Egypt, guys, had melons and cucumbers and all these things to eat. They remember selectively like some of us do. Well, you know, I remember when I was growing up, I found them was, ooh, we, we just did everything together. Y'all did. No, y'all didn't. Everybody know y'all didn't. <laughs> Stop telling that lie. And deal with the dysfunctionality that's causing you to lie because you lied because you were dysfunctional. 
So they had selective memory. They were slaves and were treated very harshly in Egypt. And we just like the children of Israel in that sense. It's impossible for us to dwell on desire for any length of time without rationalizing a way to get it by making that particular sin more attractive and accessible than what it really is. Amen. They, 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 it's very unlikely these slaves had all this, this, these delicious fruit and stuff that's out there. Uh, uh, they were slaves in Egypt. Remember, Pharaoh made them make brick without straw. So you think they're going to feed them a buffet? See, but now, guys, in verse four, back in Numbers eleven, verse four, in verse four, the term rabble, which meant a mixed multitude in the KJV, it said it said a mixed multitude in the KJV. The term rabble refers to Egyptian people and Israelite people who had intermarried. So you had Egyptians and Israelites who had got together, who had hooked up. And understand it, it that wasn't wrong in of itself, other than the fact that, that they connected with somebody who didn't have a relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All right? Understand this, and I said it before, interracial marriage is not forbidding anywhere in the Bible. Intermarriage of different races in the Bible is never commanded. It's, it's, it's never, it's never uh, 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 forbidden. What is condemned in the Bible is marrying somebody who's not of faith. A believer connecting with a non-believer. A believer in Christ Jesus connecting with someone who's following a pagan God. Now that's forbidden because God knows that when you connect together like that in a covenant relationship, it's going to have the overwhelming possibility of transforming your mind from following after him to following after the pagan God. So he said, don't mix believers and unbelievers together. Can I get a witness? So, so that's what he was talking about. So the, the rabble is though, it, was, it was those folks who, who came along, and they were the ones who were, who were kind of egging the thing on. Are y'all with me? So the mixed multitude or the rabble of, of Numbers 11 refers to worshipers of false gods who, married, who were married to worship of the one true and living God. Over and over, Scripture says that those two things don't go together. Now, if, it's, if, it's, if, if, it's, if, if, if both of them are saved, let me tell you right now, you are out of the will of God to, 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 to be hating the fact that that, that, that believer married uh, somebody who's not of their race. That, 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 that's, that's actually racist. I ain't no racist. Yes, you are. Because you made a determination on the wealth and the, and the integrity of a person based on how they looked on the outside. I said that is racist. Let me say it again. That is a racist attitude. I'm going to say it again. See, y'all keep looking at me like I'm crazy, but I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The Bible says be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. But if they're both the believers in Christ Jesus, then how they look on the outside is irrelevant. Amen? All right. So, 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 uh, the, the, this mixed multitude, Scripture says they yielded to intense craving. The, the New American Standard Bible says they had greedy desires. What the phrase means literally is that they craved a craving. This mixed multitude is now influencing the Israelites to be mad at God because of the manner that he, he rained down from heaven to feed them. Are y'all with me today? And so, so, so they started looking for something else to make them happy. They, they, they weren't satisfied with what God was giving. They wanted something other than what they had. Have you ever just, any, any of y'all ever did this before? Went, stood at the refrigerator, opened the door to the refrigerator, opened the door to the pantry, and not really hungry, but not really satisfied. He said, I want something. Come on, I need to see your hand. Any of y'all ever did that? You said, uh, simply holding the refrigerator open, letting all the cold air go. I just, I want something. Not really hungry, but not really satisfied. Just sort of looking and waiting for something to grab your attention. 
As bad as that can be for our diets, guys, listen to me carefully. It can be even more devastating if we are doing that in life. Sort of surveying our behavior options. Looking for something that might make, a, make us happier than, what, than we are at this particular moment in time. Look, look at it. Listen carefully. We all have desires and thoughts that come to our minds that are not godly. I said we all. Go to 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, with me, verse number 3. Watch this. Verse 3 through 6. We all have thoughts and desires that come to our mind that are not in line with God's will. And so the, so the thing that we got to learn to do is, is when that thought comes, identify it, capture it with the word of God, and throw it away. Because when that thought comes and that attitude comes, it'll influence our feelings. And you and I need to make a covenant commitment with God that God, I'm going to be biblical. I want to do it your way. I don't care what I think and what I feel. You see, a mature person does that. When you're spiritually mature, you can separate yourself from those feelings. You can identify them and say, listen, I know I felt that, but you know, that wasn't, that wasn't, that wasn't God. That wasn't God. No, it wasn't God. That was me. And, I, and, I, and your feelings are real. You feel that, but it's not in line with God's will. Those thoughts come to our head. So we don't get those thoughts out. They end up penetrating our soul realm. and It, it affects our feelings. And next thing you know, we're saying stuff and doing stuff that we have no business doing. Covetous attitude. I got to get more. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. Next verse says what? We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reason and to destroy false arguments. Verse number five says what? We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts. What? And teach them to obey Christ. In other words, one of the things that we have to learn to do as Christians is capture those rebellious thoughts, those thoughts that do not line up with Scripture, and we got to put them in jail and throw away the key. Are y'all with me today? So, so uh, uh, we have to learn to do it. Bring in, KJV says bring every thought into captivity. The Bible teaches that even as believers, we still have two natures. You go to Romans 7, chapter, we don't have time to go to that. Romans 7, chapter, verse 14 through 25. There, it talks about there's an old part of us that wants to sin and satisfy itself. And there is the new nature that we receive when we are born again, which wants to live righteously and please God. So you got new nature. Paul said in, in Romans 7, says, every time that I will good, want to do good, evil is present on every hand. The things that I want to do, I find myself not doing. And the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who's going to deliver me from this body of sin? It's Jesus Christ. When you bring your faults into captivity unto the obedience of Christ. Because the Bible does say that in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? New creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So Galatians 5 and 17 says that our two natures actually battle one another. Go to Galatians 5 and 17 right quick. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Galatians 5 and 17. Now, so as you're turning there, remember this. When we obey the covetous demands of our old nature and we yield, we have gone from attitude sin to action sin. Attitude sin to action sin. Both of them are sin, but I'm here to tell you attitude sin is, is one that, that's seen. And both of them are bad because attitude sin usually leads, if you don't deal with it the right way, it's going to lead to action sin. You ever had something that come into your mind, and you, your thought life, and you, you dwell on it, and all of a sudden you find yourself acting in a way that's ungodly? I need somebody to be honest with me up in here. In other words, you knew you, you, that thought came and it resonated, and all of a sudden you had told yourself you were not going to respond that way, but then all of a sudden because you didn't deal with the attitude sin, the attitude sin had you doing action sin. Then now all of a sudden action sin is out there, everybody sees it, and there's consequences. Amen. There's consequences. Text says this. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us. Watch this. The spirit. And the spirit does what? Gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your what? You're not free to carry out your good intentions. Your good intentions. Your good intentions. 
But look at verse number 18. Watch this. But when you are what? Directed by the spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. And he goes on and talks about the, 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 the verse 19. Watch this. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, here's how you know you're following the desires of your sinful nature. The results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, watch this, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling. You're a very argumentative person. Jealousy, you're a very jealous person. You have outbursts of anger. Anybody in the house? Anybody in the house? Let's back up, back up, back up. I need to see if you're in the house. Back up to verse 19. Let's go. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, here's how you know you follow the desires of your sinful nature. The results are very clear. Sexual immorality. Clear. Impurity. Lustful pleasures. Come on. Idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension and division, envy, Drunkenness, anybody I've been drunk lately? Don't admit it. I'm praying for you. Get out of it. Here's the next one. Are you at the wild party? I need to, I need to, I need you to look me in my eyes. You say, why are you at the wild party? Oh, yeah, they got lit last night. I was up in that place. Is that, is that the new word? See, lit can mean several different things. Wild parties. Stay away from wild parties, saint of God. And other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I told you before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. If that's your lifestyle, you're known for a wild party and all this stuff, that's a good chance you're not even saved. Now, you come to church, but you're not really saved. Because how are you going to pursue Jesus and that stuff at the same time on a consistent basis? I'm not talking about you fail one time or you fail and you're remorseful. You're just doing this stuff and you don't think anything about it. You think it's okay because you know, I'm just doing me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Don't, don't hold your head down. Look at me. See, sinful desires. Amen. We got to get beyond that. Covetousness drive us to that. Intense awareness of the attractiveness of sin is not sin. Sometimes we're aware of things that are feeling, we're aware of a temptation. Temptation itself is not sin. Come on now. But it's yielding to it that's sin. Can I get a witness? Yielding to covetousness is what God hates. And you, you, if you're not careful, you'll get a gift from God that you don't want. Go to the 16th uh, verse of Numbers 11 chapter. Because God, let me tell you something. In time, we may hate what we just had to have. You just had to have that dude, didn't you? You just had to have her, her didn't you? Then now all of a sudden you can't stand her. But the time you couldn't, ha- you had to have her. You had to have him. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, y'all, y'all, want, y'all don't want to go there, do you? Huh? Let me tell you what God will do for you and for me. When we stop listening to him, he'll turn us over to our reprobate mind. Because he, he, it's clear to him that, that we're not listening to any preaching. We're not listening to wise counsel. So he has, he has to just let us go. Because I'm going to tell you like the old folks said, ain't no sense like bought sense. Anybody know, Lord, you know what that means? There ain't no sense like bought sense. Sometimes we keep trying to trying to, to cordial and strong on people to do certain things. Move back and let God, if they belong to God, God will deal with them. So you stop, stop, stop getting all mad and fussed and upset and, and, and just pray for people. Because sometimes they're not hearing you. Amen? Look at, look at numbers six, 11 and 16. Hurry, hurry, hurry. You don't want this kind of gift. Then the Lord said to Moses, they complain and want meat and all this other stuff. Gather before me 70 men who are, who, are, who are recognized as elders and leaders of Israel. Bring them to the tabernacle to stand there with you. Keep reading. Let's go. Uh, I will come down and talk to you. I will talk 
I will take some of the spirit that is upon you and I will put the spirit upon them. See, listen, when you're part of this church, you're part of leadership, you ought to have my spirit. You follow me? You ought, you ought to have, I'm not saying you're not following me, you're following Christ, but, but the spirit that we carry, the spirit of, of, of non-competition. We're not competing in ministry around here. We're not trying to elevate ourselves up to be over anybody else. And, and the moment you, the moment you start doing that, there's going to be some friction there because we don't, we don't do that here. It's about Jesus and him only. It ain't about Doyle Adams. So if, if you're growing spiritually, then you don't get caught up in all that stuff. Amen? And, and I'll put the spirit upon them. They will bear the burden of the people along with you so you will not have to carry it alone. No pastor was, was designed to carry the burden of the church by himself. We need people who are maturing and growing. And you've been here any period, period of time, you all be discipling somebody. So I told the, the minister this on last Monday night. That, that after a period of time, you ought to be connecting with people and helping, helping bring them up. We ought not be still trying to minister to you after 25 years, 30 years, and you still get your feeling hurt because your name wasn't called. That, that, that's, that, we can't have that. We, got, we need you to grow. All of us, as a matter of fact, you don't have to be a minister. All of us, you've been here a period of time, you should be growing so you can go help disciple somebody else. Now watch this, watch this. Uh, verse 18, let's go, come on, let's go. It says, and say to the people, purify yourselves for tomorrow you will have meat to eat. You were whining and the Lord heard you when you cried. Oh, for some meat. We were, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will have to eat it. Watch this, verse number 19. And it won't be for just a day or two or for five or ten or even twenty. You will eat for a whole month until you gag and are sick of it. God said, okay, you want me? I'm going to give you some meat. I ain't make this up. That's what the Lord says. Some of us be wanting stuff, and then the Lord says, okay, I can't talk you out of it, so I'm going to let you have it. You're going to have all of it that you want. You will eat it for a whole month until you gag and are sick of it, for you have, watch this, here's what made God angry. Here's the crux of why God hates covetedness. Because covetedness rejects the sufficiency of God. Covetousness says that, that, that what God has given me is not enough. I want more. I'm not trusting God that he knows exactly where I am and he's going to give me what I need at the time that I am where I am. So God said, okay, you want me? I'm going to give you meat. For a whole month, you're going to gag and get sick of it for you have rejected the Lord who is here among you and you have whined to him saying, why did we ever leave you? They were talking about going back to be slaves, y'all. Covetous that got so bad, they wanted to go back to slavery in Egypt. Is that messed up or what? God said, okay, I'm going to give you meat. Skip down with me to verse number 31. Watch this. The consequences of covetousness. And we got to replace that covetous attitude with an attitude of contentment. Contentment is a satisfaction with God's sufficient provision. Contentment means to rest in what we already have and seek nothing more. In other words, it's, it's, it's good to try to progress, but, but to, be, to be settled, to be uh, at peace, Paul said, in whatever state thou men, therewith I've learned how to be content. He wasn't satisfied, but he was content. He was resting in Jesus. And you know what Mar- Maria and I learned in our early days of marriage? We're going to rest in Jesus while we stand in this townhouse in Bossier. We're going to rest in Jesus while we stand in this house in Oak Creek subdivision off Airline Drive. We're going to, when we're in Cross Creek, we're going to rest in Jesus there, and we're going to rest in Jesus in Sweetwater Oak subdivision. Every stage in our life, we learn to be at peace with God where we were. Wasn't worried about who thought what about whatever we have. I mean, why would you go buy something to impress somebody who don't even like you? And now you burned down because now you ride around saying, yeah, I don't show them. Yes, you sure have. Man, people are something else. No, people, Christians can be something else when, we're not, when we don't know who we are in Christ. You do that kind of stuff. Look at Numbers 11. Uh, let me go and get interested. So contentment is, is a settled sense of adequate. In other words, I'm, I'm comfortable with who God made me, how he made me. I, I, I'm not trying to you know, be impressive to anybody else. I'm going to be comfortable wherever God, uh, whatever sign he gives me. Contentment is a settled sense of adequacy. Contentment also has a partner. It's, it's called godliness. All right? Godliness deals with who I am. Contentment deals with what I have. Everybody say godliness deals with who I am. Contentment 
deals with what I have. Godliness is being unsatisfied with my character formation in God and contentment is being satisfied with what I possess in God. Don't miss that. God is, is being unsatisfied with my character formation of God. Because I, I should never, you and I should never get satisfied with, with our walk with the Lord, where we are in the Lord. We should always be trying to get more and more like Christ. Don't you ever settle for where you are right now. That's why it's important for you to come and grow, come, come, come and study the word of God so that you and I can continue to get more and more like Christ. When you get satisfied with where you are, you, you're going to stop growing. And God does not want to stop growing. Amen. And together, those two add up to great gain. Godliness, amen, with contentment is great gain. All right. So, so look, look at Numbers 11 and 31, 35. I'm, I'm going to let you get out of here. And, and so those, those three steps to contentment, we'll talk about those in just a second. Okay, now i got to get you out of here. Now, the Lord sent a wind that brought quail from the sea and let them fall all around the camp. For miles in every direction, there were quail flying about three feet above the ground. So the people went out and caught quail all that day and throughout the night and all the next day, too. No one gathered less than 50 bushels. They spread the quail all around the camp to dry. Watch this. Watch this. But while they were gorging themselves on the meat, while it was still in their mouths, the anger of the Lord blazed against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. 34 and 35. Watch this. It made God mad, y'all. Don't you make God mad. So that place was called Kibroth Hadavah, which means graves of gluttony. Because there they buried the people who had craved meat from Egypt. You better be careful when you desire to go back to Egypt. Be careful when you get to a state in your life where you, try, you desire to go back to the club life, the club scene, the wild scene. 35. From Kibroth Hadavah, the Israelites traveled to Hezerah where they stayed for some time. Okay, so we stop right there. So, uh, so steps to contentment. So we, so we want to place the attitude of covenant with the attitude of contentment. Learn how to be satisfied in Jesus, resting in Jesus right where you are. The first step is to look to eternity. And you can see that in 1 Timothy 6 and 7. We've got to look to things that are eternal, not things that are of this earth, if we're going to be content. Everybody say, look to eternity. Second thing, we've got to let enough be enough. Wherever you are in your state in life, learn to rest in Jesus right now. Don't be contentious and covetous and trying to get, get someplace where God says, obviously, if God wants you to be there, he would have made a way for you to get there right now. Now, now I'm not talking about, you know, not planning and taking proper steps. I'm saying learn how to be satisfied in Christ Jesus. Learn how to rest in Jesus right where you are. And don't get ahead of God. Because covetousness will cause you to go and buy something you can't afford, cause you to connect with some, something that you thought was more advantageous than, than what God had presented before you, and, and you f- end up messing yourself up. Look to eternity. Let enough be enough. And number three, learn by example. Go to 1 Timothy 6, and we're going we're to close out here. 1 Timothy 6. Look to eternity, let enough be enough, and learn by example. 1 Timothy 6 and 7, right quick. Come on, let's close it out. Text says, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. When you leave here, I promise you, your cash is not going to be full of your jewels, jewels, if you got any, or your money. Because if you put it in there, Somebody's going to dig you up and take it. Oh, they might not say nothing while, while the funeral is going on when they bury you, but they're going to come with a shovel at midnight and dig your butt up, take the stuff out, and bury you back again. Nobody takes anything with them. Next verse. Come on. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Huh? Next verse. Verse 9. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money, it happens in the church, y'all, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So you're going to be content. Look to eternal. Look to things eternal. How much do you think about things of an eternal nature in your day-to-day living. If you never even talk about God and Jesus and what he's doing in your life and where he's leading you, then it's time to regroup. 
Look to eternity. Number three, number two, let enough be enough. Quit grabbing for stuff that God says, I hadn't opened that door for you yet. And there's a reason why I hadn't opened it yet. I'm going to open it when it's time to open it. Okay? And learn by example. The children of Israel are our example. Let's learn from them. So, we're going to replace a covetous attitude with an attitude of what? With an attitude of what? Contentment. Learn how to rest in Jesus and be satisfied in him. He gave his life for each one of us out on Calvary's hill. Hung, bled, and died so that you and I could have a right to the tree of life. God gave his very best because he thought enough of you. Yes, you. He thought enough of you to sacrifice his son for all of us so we can have a relationship with him. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm thankful for that. Every head bowed, every eye closed.